there is a really big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. You see, I can't help but think that there are people like me who are here this morning. And I was, I was spending time praying this week about uh, this sermon and what to do. I'm a lot more interested in what um, the Lord wants me to say than what I would want to say. My words aren't very effective, I don't think. Um, and, and something that kept coming to mind is the reality that I think there are, there are people here this morning that are a lot like me, or maybe they're listening online at some point in the future or right now, and what we need to understand is that there is a tremendous difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Now, how do you know if you're like me? Well, maybe I'll just share a little bit of my story with you, some snippets. I, uh, I grew up pretty much in what you would call the church, going to the church building regularly on Sundays, night during the week, most often. Um, I said yes to Jesus in baptism at a fairly young age. I remember times of seeking to live for him in my younger elementary days. I mean, I know, I know my commitment to him was sincere uh, based on things I know that I sought to do in my little world, and I guess you'd call it now sphere of influence. I don't think that phrase was around back then. Um, and, and I do want to say this. If you did not grow up in the church, don't check out, because I believe there's going to be overlap. Um, but you see, my commitment to Jesus didn't really last. We could summarize it, I suppose, as things got in the way. Um, probably a little more accurate to say would be that I, I think, got in the way of things. But it doesn't mean it wasn't sincere. And um, you see, an interesting thing about this phrase of the big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus is that if you were to look at my life at a particular point in time, and now I'm just kind of talking about the teens and the, in the very early 20s, um, there was not... Uh, I guess there were some elements where it would look like maybe I believed in Jesus, but there was a lot that would indicate that I am not believing Jesus, okay? So I remember this, this uh, conversation that I had. It wasn't really much of a conversation. It was really short, but it was in high school. It's in what was called at that point in time activity period. I don't know what it is now, but for me, it was like this 20-block minute of time where I could like get all my stuff done so I didn't have to take any books home. I think that was kind of like my goal. Um, other people were in clubs and stuff and did that, which is wonderful. That's just not uh, where I was at that point in time in life. And I remember there was this time where there's, this conversation was taking place, and an individual uh, looked at me. I don't remember what the rest of the conversation was, but they said, Brent, you go to church. And by that, they basically meant that, like, I'm a Christian. And, and uh, I was not following Jesus at this point in time in my life at all. And so I really believe it was the grace of God in that moment, the Holy Spirit, you know, like directing me, and, and I think even probably for the benefit of that person, but also for myself. And I said, yeah, I go to church on Sundays, but 
if you want to know what a Christian is like, then don't look at me, because I know I am not living in the ways that I ought to live. I don't know what the Lord did with it in that person's life, and, and honestly, it didn't really change me, but there was this window of time where the things that were fulfilling for me, the things that I looked forward to, the things that I thought were... Um, at that point in time, like kind of the, the pinnacle of my life and being a senior in high school, those things started to be empty. And I started to have questions of like, have I gotten it all wrong? Am I, am I way off base on some things? Do I need to radically change some things? But then I was like, no, that's like, that is going to be way too much work. I'm, I'm enjoying this stuff now and I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so it's like I did what I could to stamp that voice out. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I really think that was the Lord opening a door for me and just saying to me that, you know, there's, there's more. There's different things than what you are currently doing. But you see, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Because if somebody would have asked me, Brent, do you believe in God or do you believe in Jesus? I think my answer would have been, well, yes, of course I do. I mean, believing the existence of Yahweh or of Jesus wasn't even an issue at that point in my life. It was just like, yes. I mean, doubt in that came later on in my story, and that's kind of another part of my story that's rough. But back then, I mean, it was like, yes, obviously a belief, but you see, there's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus, because if I was really believing Jesus, then I would have had to take seriously what he says in Luke chapter 6, for example, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If I really was believing Jesus at that point in my life, there would have been a whole lot of repentance taking place. And there would have been that moment in time where that short conversation really kind of like almost a question in my response, and that would have led to some changes, but it did not. And I will add this. It's hard to believe Jesus if you don't know what he said, right? <laughs> so, so we have to spend time in here in a variety of ways. I understand reading's not everyone's thing, but we can, we can listen. There's ways that we can get it ingested into us. And, and, I, and I do want to say this. I want to throw out this caveat, and I think it goes for any sermon that you will ever hear, is that if at some point during the course of this message or any other message you ever hear, if basically that kind of happens where like the Lord is opening a window or the Holy Spirit is speaking to you or highlighting something, I want to give you permission to check out and pay attention to what was just highlighted to you. I'm not saying the other things that are going to be shared were bad or not worth your time or anything like that. It may be built on, but yet when we talk about Lord, and this is what the word we're looking at here this morning, a key thing about this concept in this word is obedience. And there are times where we have to take an obedience of an initial step because maybe the other things are a few steps down the road. Does that make sense? It's a little bit like I remember when I was younger, um, and I can say that now, I guess that's relative, but anyway, I remember like the stairs at my parents' house, and I remember it was a lot of fun to like, you know, stand down here and see how many steps I could get, and you know, it was easy, it got easy to do like one at a time, and then it became running up and like bounding two or three at a time, but following Jesus doesn't exactly work like that. I mean, we may bound somewhere, but then we're going to have to go back to that step eventually. And I'm speaking as one who would really like to just fast forward and skip some steps. 
You see, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Fast forward some years, and uh, there were some changes happening in my life. I, I think a way of summarizing it would be there were people who were praying for me a lot. I didn't really realize it at the time. A whole bunch of prayer going in for me, a lot of stuff in my life that was becoming a little bit unbearable. I guess would be a way of saying it, and, and the Holy Spirit working in, in me cooperating, and, and he was bringing me out of things and bringing about changes in my life, and, um, and this had been going on for a year or so, maybe a year and a half, I don't remember for sure, and uh, there come a time, it was over the summer, um, and uh, the youth group at my home church where I was helping, they were needing warm bodies to help kids go to this large youth conference is basically what it amounted to. Um, because there were so many and they didn't have enough people, so they needed adult chaperones to go. And, and I guess a little bit of a side note, this is a conference that people in the youth group and some of my uh, friends, I wasn't real close with them, I could have been, it would have benefited me, were trying to get me to go to for years, and I always had an excuse as to why not to go, okay? So I went to this Christ and Youth Conference. It was a um, they still have them. They're across the, the states, I think, where they, students go to a university campus during the summer. And that week just really, really got, the Lord worked through that to radically do some things in me and change me. Uh, I remember sitting in there with the, the preaching that was taking place. And then since I didn't really have a whole lot of responsibilities, I didn't have to be with the kids. At some points, I could go and I could sit with the guy who was doing the main teaching during a, what they called an adult Bible fellowship time. And he was explaining things and showing things about the kingdom of God in Scripture. And I remember I, it was almost as if I was doing this. I mean, I was eating up what he was saying, and I'd look back at my Bible, and then I'd be almost like looking at it sideways or, or like this. And I'm like... I'm like, I never saw that before, but yet it's now so clear. How did I never see that? And, and I can't say that I never heard teaching on the kingdom of God because, as again, I, I admit I was not really engaged, but I had been seeking for a while now, and I had been reading for a while now. So whether I never heard it or the Lord was just using that time to connect dots, I don't know for sure. That's a little bit irrelevant. But yet the kingdom of God was coming alive to me in ways that I did not even know existed. And I was floored with who Jesus was, what he came to do, and the implications of that, not only on my life, but on the lives of other people. The Bible was coming alive to me, and I had a hunger for it, and I started uh, to you know, devour it or sense and just reading it and, and making connections and then getting a chronological Bible and reading through the chronological Bible and seeing the best how we can piece things together about how those things happen. It was, it was so amazing and it was fun and it was exciting and I was making all these notes and all these connections and it was such an amazing time and I continue to see that there is a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Because as the kingdom of God continued to unfold for me, he started to bring about even more change in my life. I started to view politics differently than the way I was accustomed to. Some may say that was a good thing. Some may say that was bad. I don't know. Jesus isn't on the left or on the right. He's on his own stratosphere, okay? He's far beyond anything that tries to polarize us in this nation or any kingdom in the world because every kingdom will rise and eventually fall. Jesus's will not. His is the rock cut out from a mountain that no human hand can see that hits at the base of the statue and it crumbles. And that statue represents the kingdoms of the world. Every single one is going to fall. 
And when I started to see that, I was like, whoa, what in the world? And then just started just seeing all these other things. That, and uh, I think that maybe came a few years later, but that's okay. It still fits in here. But just started just shifting so many things. His concern for, for justice, his, his emphasis on finances and what we did with them. And I, I remember there was a time when I was young and I was giving, and then all of a sudden I wasn't. And I had been giving for a while now, but then we started just doing really stupid things with our money. Like, you know, Melissa and I, when we were married, it was a, a while after that conference, a couple, two, three years, I don't remember for sure, three, three, um, and, uh, you know, just if you're married, you know how this goes, like, we were young, and we were broke, we didn't have any money, all that type of stuff, you know, too broke to pay attention, I don't know about that one, <laughs> but we, we didn't have, we didn't have much money, right, and uh, living in a small college town, and a mutual friend of ours, um, it was summer, summertime, time for summer school, and he was really wanting to take a class. The class was a little bit peripheral, but what he was really wanting to do was he was really wanting to be around people who were a good influence on his life and who were following Jesus, because that's really what he needed. He didn't want to go home to an environment that honestly wasn't really bad, but there were elements of it that were a trapping and a draw to him. And so as he and I were talking, I was like, yeah, we'll pay for your class. How? I don't know. We don't have, we don't have any money. I mean, we did because our check didn't bounce. This is like when you wrote checks. Um, but, you know, paid for the class, $500, which some of you are probably thinking, $500? Like, can you buy a book for that now in my course of work? I, but, so this was a little while ago. But, but that $500 that we, you know, didn't have, but in a sense did, because once again, the check didn't bounce, but stupid financial decision on paper, honestly, that kept him around us and other people, and he is now serving the Lord week after week, preaching in a church, loving on God, sharing, or loving on God, yes, first, and then loving people. Now, did what we do, uh, there's more to his story than just that little part, but we played a part in it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if not for that, but it, it played a part. Because there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And he was taking me in steps and in directions that I didn't know, but I wanted to be obedient as I saw them, and they continued to unfold. But when I look back, I can still see that this statement very clearly applies, that there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus, because there were some uh, pretty big decisions that... I think the Lord opened a little bit of a window again for me to understand, and if I would have went through or looked a little more intently, I could have seen what was going on, but I didn't know how to do that at that point in time. But I made some pretty big decisions that were really driven by fear. You see, I didn't understand this concept here in John chapter 10. And to be clear, I had read it by this point several times, several times. Um, where Jesus talks about his sheep and how they hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. A stranger they will not follow, for they do not know the voice of strangers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, could you guys switch to the other PowerPoint for just a moment, if you would? You see, I was believing in Jesus, and I was believing Jesus, but... 
I wasn't there with this one as far as hearing Jesus' voice. And I'm not going to spend much time on this here. I just want to flash up a few tools because I think that, that tools are very helpful for us to learn and understand things. This is one that I believe Garen shared, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, the Kairos moment thing. Take a picture or find the slides online because it's going to go away here as soon as I remember I have the clicker. <laughs> Here's another way of doing that. And basically what this is, this is a cycle, and it's a way of paying attention to things so that you can discern and start to learn to discern the will of God and his voice, both for you as well as a, a larger group of people. Because there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Maybe this can be a tool that will be helpful somewhere along your way. Now, I do want to... Uh, we go back to the other slide. This is a, a chance to have uh, one of the first of a few by the way statements that I need to throw out there. Okay, um, even though I am stating this more than once, if you haven't noticed, and I will continue to say it, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing in Jesus. I want to readily confess that I um, I still have a struggle with this. I think it's honestly a general like preaching, teaching statement that can just kind of go without saying, but that's not to say that people don't have things to say, or maybe the Lord has brought them through some things, and they have uh, some explanation or some things for people in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise with it. Because if you, if you were to follow me around on a daily basis, and you have this statement that I'm saying over and over again, or if you could... I wouldn't really wish that on you. I was going to say, get in my mind for a little bit. You'd probably like be okay for a moment and then like run away screaming. He's like, oh my God, that guy is crazy. I don't want, I don't want to be there. But, but if, you, if you would know more the internal workings of my life, you would see where there's gaps still with this. There's still gaps. I mean, I have times where I still, I still question and I wonder, and I wonder why is this happening? Why can't I do, I do this? And why don't I have direction here? Those things are still an ongoing thing for me, but I continue, I believe, to learn how to handle them uh, in a more God-honoring way, in a way that helps me take further steps in following him. And sometimes what I'm seeing is that I need to return to some things that maybe he's already shown me, like he kind of opened some of those doors in the past, and maybe I just didn't pay enough attention. Because there is a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. By the way, statement number two, welcome to the Names of God series. We are still in it, officially, if you were wondering. Um, and this morning, the, the, the word at hand is Lord. Now, it's not necessarily a name, as Garen has been going through. This is more of a, not just more of, it is a title, really, is what this is. Um, and so when we're looking at this, this uh, concept in the series of Lord, I do want to go through a few things here. Um, and uh, by the way, on the right side of that screen, had I had known what I was doing and or they had the proper, not the proper, they had the font that I use, that would be Hebrew. It's not, it's I don't even know what that is. But on the left of it is, is the Hebrew word transliterated Adon, okay? That from that we get Lord or Master in Scripture. The next one, maybe you've heard Adonai as well. Um, and uh, that one is some capital Greek letters. Um, it's close, it's a foreign language at least, but I was just, you know, I was just trying to get the Hebrew up there. Uh, just, and if it was there, honestly, it would look like some sticks thrown on the ground, but that's kind of what the Hebrew alphabet looks like um, in a way. 
not disrespecting, it's just different. Um, so here's, this, here's the word that underlies when we would see in our English Bibles the word Lord. And I want to show you a few places, or maybe just a place where it occurs. The first place, actually, uh, is in Genesis chapter 15. Now, I have two different translations up there. And uh, this is where Abraham replies. He says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the, the, word, the word underlying the Lord there with the bold, that is Adonai right there. God is capitalized because that's Yahweh. So this is one of the places where Adonai and Yahweh, his covenant personal name, are together. Uh, the ESV does it as Lord God. The NIV does it as Sovereign Lord. Uh, I honestly think that creates a lot of struggles and difficulties and questions, but that's another issue. Uh, I don't know if a lot of other translations do that. But here's the first place where it occurs in Scripture. There's many, many other places where it does in the Old Testament. I do want to simply point that out. Now, when we switch to the um, New Testament, it becomes kurios. And the left side would have been Greek, but it's, it's not, and that's okay. Um, but uh, it's, the, it's the translation of the Hebrew Adonai. And so what happened is like if we had the, if we had the Hebrew Bible on one side and we had the, the uh, Septuagint, the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Bible, what we would see as we compare things is that predominantly whenever they came to the personal name of Yahweh, the translators would use kurios for that. They would use Lord. That's how they translated it. Does that make sense? So we have the underlying Hebrew word Adonai or Adon, and then the Greek uses kurios most often for Yahweh. And then we fast forward into the New Testament, and we see them used for both Yahweh, for example, in Luke chapter 1 or Matthew chapter 4. There's many other places besides those, but Matthew chapter 4 is where Jesus is out with the tempter, and Jesus replies to him, uh, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, quoting scripture, and in there, he, that's with the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, kurios, translating that, used of Jesus, Matthew 7, 21, is one of like 600 or some examples in the New Testament. Okay, I just want to throw those out there. Uh, I can help you find those, or you know how to do them on your own, but what I want to communicate here is that really the important thing is that the root of this word is power and authority and dominance and mastery. Those are the types of things that I want you to have in your mind when you think of the word Lord. There, there's power in that word. It has authority. There's dominance and there's mastery. And we would get that by looking at the places where it is translated in Scripture and what's happening in the context around it. And we see just this overwhelming, unmatched power and authority that this word is communicating, especially when used of God Most High. Okay, it's used of humans from time to time as well, but when it's used of God Most High, there is an unmatched power and authority and dominance on a level that is crazy off the charts. And this is really significant, and this is why I say this is uh, like a title, and the thing is here is that if we only had this title, and this is the only way that, that Yahweh had revealed himself with this title, on one hand, that would be enough, because that's what he chose to do, Okay? But on the other hand, with the, with the connotations of this word, we would be like shaking in our boots afraid because that's part of what it conveys. And what I mean by that is just the, the thought of experiment of realizing how this word, what it reveals and what it reminds us of is that there is one who owes his existence 
to nothing, which is a mind-bending concept in and of itself, who spoke things into existence, who has the ability to command nature with his voice and the demonic realm with his voice or a touch. And that's, that's like power that is unmatched. I mean, it's one thing, it's like we read about it, but when we really stop to think about that and, and, and ask the Lord to continue to show us what that is, and he shows us more glimpses, it's just, it's power and authority and mastery and dominance that just floors us because we are completely unmatched and undone by it. Completely. It's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like uh, Jesus when he takes the uh, Peter, James, and John, they go up on on the mountain, he's transfigured before them, right? Before he's Jesus, he's their, he's their friend legitimately. They spend time with him, they eat with him. But then when, when the veil is pulled back and his, his divinity shines through and they're just like overwhelmed at his glory and who he is. And we see that same thing happen again, I think at the beginning of Revelation, I think John saw the same thing twice. And he turns around and he describes Jesus and he sees one with this white hair, and these feet of burnished bronze, and all the descriptors that we have of Jesus there in his revealed lordship. So on one hand, it's enough. On the other hand, we'd be shaking in our boots because the reality is we know how dangerous power is as humans, right? I mean, people grasp for it all the time. Jesus talked about it as well. Luke chapter 22, he says, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over others. But it's not going to be that way with you, that lorded over others. That's using a verb form of the of kurios, of the Lord. In uh, Matthew and Mark, they use uh, rulers. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over you. And history is full of people seeking to lord it over others. I want to read a uh, uh, bit of a book, uh, The Wingfeather Saga, to you. It's, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, I think, directed for kids, maybe, or it's directed for adults. But if you have kids, get it for them. They'll enjoy it, I really think. Uh, but if you, uh, I would encourage you to read it as an adult as well. But in the midst of this book, I don't want to give lots away, but basically there's this family that's on the run, and there's a point in time where the oldest son is talking with the grandfather and just like, why is this happening? If it wasn't for us, these other things wouldn't have happened. And the grandfather basically is like, no, don't you understand that throughout history, this type of stuff happens? And he gives examples. And then he says this. He says, this is the grandfather speaking to the son or grandson. He says, no, when a king forgets who he is, he looks for himself in the rubble of conquered cities. He is haunted by a bottomless pit in his soul, and he will pour the blood of nations into it until the pit swallows the man himself. Seeking to lord it over others. It's the history, really, of humanity outside of the kingdom of God. You see, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And we have this interesting split that I think, I think it's, I don't know if it's always been there, but it's certainly in our culture today where we have people who are extremely turned off to um, 
not spiritual things at all, but of God and the God of the Bible, because they would view him as, as a tyrant or as a bigot or bloodthirsty or a whole bunch of other things that can be put in there. And some of what they have filtered through is some pretty heavy teaching on the Lord aspect, okay? There's not all, that's not all that there is to it, but that is an aspect of it. And then we have over here, we have people who are sometimes in the church, and Jesus is, is just my buddy, which he certainly can be. He wants that. He calls his disciples friends. Um, he knows us by name. All those things are true. But if we're, if we're not careful, it's like all of a sudden we start wanting him to be doing the things that are on our agenda. And we want that to be more and more the focus. And here's a double-edged thing, because all that is is that's a desire that's been carried forward. Because the saving point when we realize we need a savior is on one sense very selfish, right? I know I need something else. But that always needs tempered, because if we don't temper it with something else, then I know I need something else. Jesus is the answer for that. He's changing my life. He's bringing about all this stuff, and his spirit is changing me. If we don't temper it with anything else, it doesn't take long for that path to get a little bit off course. And it's like, well, I'd really prefer this, and I'd really prefer that. We have to have a blend of both. We have to have a blend of the Lord aspect, because if we leave that out, we're going to shift him into whatever we want him to be. But if all we have is the Lord, then it's just a fearful thing. So the Lord is, I think, the preeminent title, but he graciously fleshes it out for us by giving us his names. As Garen has been going through for, I think, the bulk of this, or a large chunk of this year anyway. Yahweh, his personal name, but then once again, the one who is the Lord, who has all the authority and all the power that just would cause us to fall almost dead in his tracks, basically. But he's also Yahweh-Rohi, who is my shepherd. The one who has all the authority and the power and who can, can command anything that he wants, but he's also Yahweh-Kana, the one who is zealous for you. And it's not so much that he wants to force you into things as that he wants his zealous love for you to change you so that you will desire the things that he desires. And on and on through those names we could go. The God who sees. And on and on. I do think it'd be good to insert, by the way, statement number three is that if somehow we were in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which for some of you might be exciting, and for some of you, you're like, what is that? Um, just saying with like time travel and all that stuff, you could probably visit me in different periods of my life, and I would preach this sermon differently every single time. It's just reality. There's so much to say on this. There's so many cool things in Scripture about how this happens and how it's applied to Jesus, and, and on all these things, all those things are amazing and wonderful, but, but I really believe what we need and what I know I continue to need is the reality that there is a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. So why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with the Lordship of Jesus, the Lordship of God Most High. And with that, I do want to say this. I think we struggle with all of his names, right? Ever have financial struggles? Do we not forget that he's the one who spread the manna on the ground? The one who told Peter, hey, just go throw a hook out and the fish that you catch, bring the pearl and pay the tax? Should we expect Jesus to do that for us? I don't know if that's exactly right, but we need to understand when we have worries and concerns, what's his track record and what's his history? It may not be answered in the way that we would prefer, but we can trust 
who he is. There's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. So why do we struggle? Well, one, I think sometimes we just don't know any better. I've been with people where things have been shown to them, and they're like, I, I, I didn't know. And so they work to make changes. And we need, we need to just be okay with that. We need to be okay with people struggling with things because maybe they just don't know, or maybe it's new for them, and, and they're going to have to walk things out for a while, just like all of us need to. Okay, but what I, what I long for is for us to, and I'm not saying that this is where this body is, but as a whole, but for Christians to move beyond, like, you know, just thinking about, oh, I, they didn't know any better, so we'll excuse them, work with them, move beyond things like, and I'm not saying these are small issues either, okay, but like, you know, some, some form of, uh, of, of sexual sin or relationship things that aren't, that aren't the Lord's best for them or some, or some language things or those things. And what I would like us to do to move into is that people would have aha moments and they're like, you're telling me that I, I can't do whatever I want with my money? I, I never knew that before. And so I think that Jesus would emphatically say, yes, you can't do whatever. I mean, on one hand, you can, but yet also remember Jesus himself saying, you can't have two, the English text will say masters, but the Greek word is lords. You can't have two lords. You're either going to serve the Lord of mammon, or you're going to serve me. You can't have it both ways. Sometimes we just don't know any better, and that is it's an ongoing process because there's always more. Why else do we struggle with it? Well, we struggle with it because of sin. And right now you're probably thinking, woo, thank you, Captain Obvious. I will rest easy tonight, right? It's, but, but seriously here with this, it has, done a it has done a number on us. I appreciate when Garen brings up, because it is so true, how it is distorted relationships with us and Yahweh, with us and other people, internally within ourselves and with creation. All those things are true. Sin has done a number on things around us. But you know what? Romans chapter 6 says we have a new Lord, right? It's translated as master, but it's a verb of a Lord word. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He said earlier that we have died to sin in verse 2. How can we therefore continue to live in it? Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's one of the times that that Lord word is used. Okay? Now, I do want to acknowledge, and I believe there is a lot of wisdom uh, when Garen will flash up uh, a PowerPoint, I think maybe he did it last week, about this over-realized eschatology. And what that basically means is the things that will one day be in the new heavens and new earth, an expectation that that all should be now. There is an immense amount of wisdom in that. Because it's not all now, because Jesus will one day bring it in its fullness. Does that make sense? And so we have this tension. We see Jesus walking along and bringing the kingdom of God wherever he went. Okay, And we want that now, which is a good thing to want that now. Jesus says that we should pray for that now. And I simply want to add to this over-realized uh, over eschatology caution, I also want to add the reality that there is an awful lot of value of sitting with a text like Romans and asking ourselves the question, am I really dead to sin? 
am I really dead to it? Because there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And that's what the text says, that we have died to it. You see, the reality is, if we read further on in Romans, we're being conformed and shaped into something, either the world or the image of Jesus. And that's an ongoing process. Verse 11, Paul says, so you must, you must, 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 must consider yourselves dead to sin. And maybe that's the point to start. Sometimes I don't even know if we're really struggling with something. We entertain the idea that it could be different. We're just resigned to the fact that that's always how it's going to be. No, we must consider ourselves dead to sin because if we don't do that, there's no chance of anything that is going to change. And I realize that someone may be thinking, well, wait a second. He was talking about believing in Jesus is different than believing Jesus, and he's quoting Paul. Fair enough. Believing in the Holy Spirit is one thing, but it's not the same as believing the Holy Spirit. Because we believe that the Spirit guided Paul in writing this, correct? So it can really be interchangeable here at this point. Why else do we struggle? And why do I struggle with time so much as I have to hurry up now? <laughs> I want to hurry up, um, I should say. Well, because at least I get in the way. I think collectively we do, but I know that I get in the way. And I want to illustrate this from Scripture. Um, Matthew chapter 16. I'm not necessarily going to read very much, but this is where I'm referencing Matthew chapter 16, this is where uh, Jesus strategically takes his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi because he's going to unveil something really significant to them that's going to shift the course of his ministry. And he asks them a question, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they answer and they say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the King, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And by the way, it's not your own smarts that put that together, but my Father has revealed that to you. And Peter's like, I don't even know what that means. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge it. He's like, you'll understand that later, okay? But here we have, we have, G, we have Peter believing in Jesus, right? Who, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, okay? Now, you know the story, right? What happens just a little bit later? Jesus says, hey, by the way, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And what does Peter say? Well, wait a second, Jesus. I got my Messiah 101 manual right here. And this is very clearly what it says. Um, you stay alive and everyone else dies, okay? You, you're alive and you kill them. That, that's, what, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Messiah is to do. And Jesus rebukes Peter, right? But do you notice the shift in such a short period of time? Peter, believing in Jesus, you are the Christ. And then actually what he says a little bit later in verse 22 of Matthew is, far be it from you, Lord. There's our word. So we see Peter in a very short period of time shift from believing in Jesus to not believing Jesus. And to Peter's credit, 
Earlier, he had believed Jesus. Just flip back with me, if you will, or I'll just make reference to it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. This is when the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and there's this huge storm that arises, and they're out in the middle of it, rowing, and their backs are sore, and it's been practically all night long, and Jesus is walking toward them. And then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out of the boat. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat, which is like, Ludicrous, except what was he doing in that moment? Believing in Jesus. <laughs> Just believing in what Jesus asked him to do. And he does what I don't think anyone else has ever done in the history of mankind. Now, granted, I know what happens after that, okay? But he gets out of the boat. He believed in Jesus and believed Jesus in that moment. You see, a question really is, with this difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus, the question really is, do we trust him even when he goes against what we would prefer or choose? Do we trust him in those moments? Because if we don't trust him, Really, what we're after at that point is not a Lord to submit to, but we're after a servant to get us what we want. That's really what we're after. And I stand here confessing to you that I find myself in that place a lot more than I would desire to be. Fourth reason why we struggle with this is because he is infinite and we are not. He is infinite and we are not. And so it's inevitable that we will struggle with this because of who he is in comparison to us because there's always more for him to undo in our lives. Because like I said, sin has done a number on all of us and our cooperation with it. There's always more for him to undo. He is infinite, and we are not. Let's use Peter as an example again, really briefly. Peter, Matthew chapter 14, leaves the boat, right? Lord, if it's you, tell me and I'll come. He gets out and he goes. A little bit later, tries to give Jesus Messiah 101 lessons. Lord, that is never going to happen to you. Then, Acts chapter 2, fast forward into another book. And here we have Peter being pretty down with the suffering part, right? If you are familiar with this sermon in Acts chapter 2, he tells the Jews repeatedly, God sent the Messiah and you killed him. He sent the Messiah and you killed him. He sent the Messiah and you killed him. Like over and over again, he's drilling it into their heads, this message that he was rebuking Jesus for before. And he's saying over and over again really what the deal was. And they're like, finally, at the end, it's like, oh my goodness, what have we done? And Peter says, yeah, you guys, you all need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, okay? And then we fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 10, and Peter's having this vision, and Jesus says, basically, Peter, I want you to eat that bacon. And Peter says, never, Lord. And there he is again. I don't think it was bacon. It was like fish, shellfish or something. But you understand the unclean things, right? Never Lord. Words that 
shouldn't go together, right? I mean, I, I do want to give you permission to do them together in the sense of biblical lament and a psalm. I do want to say that, right? But as far as never, I'm never going to do that. And we can be honest that I never want to do that because there, it's, it's, uh, we're protecting ourselves from things that ultimately he's calling us to for our good. But as far as ultimate obedience with the lordship of Jesus and God most high, those words do not go together. Because there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Um. Melissa, if you could come up, we're going to have a song that's going to be a response, maybe a little bit shorter part of the song, the chorus, because I do want to honor time here. But I want to fast forward just a little bit in Peter's life. And there's, I think, other things that we could point to, but just as as, uh, thinking about this and thinking about his letters a little bit and this difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. And we have in 1 Peter chapter 3, we have Peter say in verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, there's a lot of really loaded words in there and some of the things historically that were taking place. But I want us to see that one of the things undergirding that statement by Peter is Peter is saying that when Jesus is your Lord, your life is going to prompt other people to ask questions. Why do you do the things that you do? Why are you different? Why do you endure this? Where, how do you make it through this? Why do you do this with your finances? How do you treat me differently? All these different things. Our lives should cause other people to ask us questions. That's an implication of the Lordship because he is writing this world and setting it right side up again. And another one would be 2 Peter chapter 3. Where he says in verse 8, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. Uh, Let's go for it a little bit. Uh, Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. And just let that sink in a little bit, coming from the pen of Peter. (laughs) Mr. Hurry up, get it done, never that's going to happen to It's a good thing that he is patient and slow. Because if he wasn't patient and slow, at some point in time, us in this room would not have known him as Lord as we know him now. Melissa's going to lead us in a song. I'll let her kind of take over at this point for that. We're going to sing the good old hymn, I Surrender All. So if you're able, I invite you to stand. And this is our time of response to the Lord and what he's been um, highlighting for us today. I just encourage you to use this as your prayer time and to tell him uh, that you are willing to surrender everything. I love this song. It doesn't say, I surrender this part of my life. I'll surrender that part, and maybe in a little while I'll surrender that. It's just all. So let's mean it as we sing it. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. 
as she said, may that be a response. Don't let it stop here. Um, when we surrender to him, we need to understand what he says goes. And I know sometimes that can be scary. <laughs> um, but he's trustworthy. And maybe for some, the surrender is accepting what he says about you rather than what you think about you. Maybe that's your starting point. Maybe it's something that he's calling you to do. I don't know what it is, but I can trust that just as there is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus, I know that there's always more that he has for us because he's infinite and we are so, so limited. And it's for our good as we continue to follow him. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Twelfth, you are sent.